Well, good afternoon. It's always a it's always an honor to be here with y'all. Um, it was an honor to to have the opportunity to to come and speak prior, and it's even I guess a good opportunity and a positive thing that I've been invited back. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me uh, allowing me to be here uh, this afternoon. Um, before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this time that we have the ability to come and worship you freely, Father. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that, that we do not deserve. Thank you for everyone who's here this evening and everyone who may be watching online, Father, and everyone who may hear this later. Lord, I just pray that you would get me out of the way this evening. Father, I pray that you would just remove me from the equation, Lord, and just allow me if it be your will, um, allow me to speak for you, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would keep me from error and keep me from saying anything I shouldn't say and, and speaking from my own opinion instead of from the Scripture. Again, Lord, thank you for who you are. We love you, we honor you, we glorify you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This evening, uh, our text is going to be actually Isaiah. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, and I'll give you all a second to, uh, to turn there. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 50. And we're going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read all the way through the entire chapter, but our main focus this evening is going to be on verses 10 and 11. So as we're reading through, our main focus for this evening will be on verses 10 and 11, but I feel as though we need to read the whole chapter. So that way it'll give us a little bit of context as to what's going on and kind of put us in an area where we can kind of understand the, the, the situation. So Isaiah chapter 50 <clears throat> and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom have I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have, you, have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there, there is no water, and dieth for thirst." I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh me morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax as a garment the moth shall eat them up. Verse 10, 
Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lay down, lie down in sorrow. Again, the main focus for this evening is going to be verses 10 and 11. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. And the title of my message is our response in times of darkness, our response in darkness as believers. And so that's where we're going to focus this evening. As a Christian, we are almost guaranteed as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, we're almost guaranteed to have times in our lives where we experience times of darkness, times where we are unsure of what's going on, times where Uh, we can't see the end of the situations that we are experiencing. Times of misery in which we can't see an end. Times when we are unsure if God is even there for us, if He's even present. Times when it feels as though God has maybe even seemingly removed Himself from us, and we are wondering where God is. Why hasn't God answered our prayers? Why, when I read the Scriptures, do I feel cold? Why, why, when I pray, does it feel as though my prayers are just hitting the ceiling and going no further? God has provided us comfort in these times to simply rest and trust in Him. When we think of darkness, we may have different ideas in our minds. We may think of different things when, when we say the word darkness. I know for me, living out in in the country now, and having grown up in the country, I think of very dark woods. I think of going out as a little boy through the woods and not having any type of ambient light if the moon's not out, and it's very dark. It's very dark. Some of you may think of a, a moonlit night, maybe a stormy night, a dark room to where you can't see anything at all, not even your hand in front of your face, or maybe even a cave. Maybe those of you who've been through caves and different things where they've turned out the lights and you can't see anything. There's no light. As I was preparing for this, I heard a story. I read a story of a young boy. Uh, They actually lived here in Texas. His family lived here in Texas during the late 1800s. And at their house where they lived, they obviously didn't have electricity at that time, but they had kerosene lamps in the house. And the boy's father was away. Uh, in in the town at at that point in time, and the mother, it was dark outside, and the mother had asked her son, can you please go outside and grab the broom off the porch? I need the broom, it's outside on the porch. And this son was around five or six years old, and I liken it to myself because my son is around the same age, and same tendencies, and so it really, it meant something to me, but the mother said, son, can you please go outside and get the broom? And the son sat there for a second. He looked out the window. He said, I'm not going outside. The mother said, why? He said, it's dark outside. I'm not going outside. Do you know what goes on outside? I hear things. I hear things outside my window at night. I hear coyotes yelling. I hear all these strange noises. I'm not going outside. 
And so the mother, as a loving mother, tried to do her, her job and comfort her son and tell, tell him that it's okay, God is with you. God's not going to let anything happen to you. God's with you everywhere you go. God is with you. God is next to you. Jesus is there. The son thought about it for a while and kept looking at the door, looking out the window. And the mother continued to reassure him. Sure enough, her son got up the courage to go to the door and open it to get the broom. But instead, the little boy goes to the door and he, he opens it. He looks out into the darkness. He looks around and he said, Jesus, can you give me the broom? That's a funny story for us, and it it made me giggle because it reminds me of my son. But the truth is, is that God is with us even in times of darkness. The truth is, is that he's there and he gives us instructions on how we are to respond in, in, in these times. He gives us the assurance of how we are to respond, and he's given us that guidance Our decisions in times of darkness in our lives can either birth hope or despair, peace or conflict, joy or misery, steadiness or wavering, a sense of calm or a sense of unrest. How we respond in these times of darkness is critical, it is crucial, and it is consequential to our Christian lives. Here as we pick up in verse 10, As we begin to read in verse 10 down through 11, to add a little bit of context to this, obviously we are in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And beginning in chapter 50 and before in chapter 49, the nation of Israel in this context is currently in captivity. They're in captivity in this context. And in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14 It states, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and the Lord hath forgotten me. And the Lord begins to remind his chosen people that of who he is. And in verse 50, he says, thus saith the Lord, where is your bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom have I put away of which of my creditors it is to whom I have sold you? Behold, your iniquities have sold you yourselves for your transgressions as your as your mother put away. Israel was saying, God left us, God has forsaken us, God has completely put us away. And God says, no, I haven't. I haven't sold you, I haven't divorced you. And he's referring to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, I believe in verse 1, stating about the bill of divorcement. If a husband was going to divorce his wife, there had to be a bill of divorcement, there had to be witnesses. It was an official document. And he's saying, please show me where I've divorced you. Show me where I have left you. Show me where I have abandoned you. But instead he tells them that behold of your iniquities, you have sold yourself and for your transgressions is your mother put away. The Lord told, the Lord was relaying to Israel through Isaiah the prophet. God was relaying to them that the reason why you're in the situation that you're in is because of your sin, of your iniquity, of rejecting me, of turning to idols. And in verse 2, he says, Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, was there none to answer? I've sent you prophets. I've, I've sent you my word. I have sent you warnings and warnings, and yet you do not yield, and yet you do not listen to me. 
Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Do you think I'm a weak God that I can't redeem you, that I can't bring you out of the captivity that you're in or that I won't? Or that if you turn to me and repent, I will not bless you? Do you think I am weak? Behold at my rebuke, and he reminds them here, behold at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. He's reminding them of what he's done for them, of what they've seen. Uh, Some of the examples of this is when he brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage of Egypt. I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness, a wilderness. When he turned uh, the waters to blood and the fish died and they stank so bad and they stunk. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Remember me who your God is. You're telling me I left you. No, and I can redeem you. I am strong. I am powerful. I am God Almighty. And this is how I've shown you this in the past. And then it switches up here. In Isaiah, there's four servant songs. That, that we like to classify as four. And it's the suffering servant whom we know is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. There's other religions who would like to claim that it's someone else, but we know that it's identified that is Jesus Christ. And here in verse four, it switches up. It's beginning, it's Jesus speaking, Jesus Christ speaking. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He, maketh, he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. He's appealing to Jesus Christ as, as his, his, his man, the side of his, his humanity side, his, his human side. That while he was here on earth, every, all, of his, all of his speech, everything he knew was from his divine side as God, as the Son of God. But here I want you to notice that in chapter 50, one through three, God is telling him what he has done. And God is telling him what he has done for them. But I want you to notice in the second half, we're going to see what he will do through Christ. And Christ's obedience. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. I will not be ashamed, therefore I will not be ashamed, therefore have I set my face like a flint. I am determined, Jesus Christ determined that he was going to carry out the will of the Father, that he was going to carry out the plan of salvation, our champion of salvation, the author and perfecter of our faith, set his face toward Jerusalem when it was time for him to give his life. He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax as old garments and moths shall eat them up. Verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? Here he's not talking to people who have rejected God. God's not speaking to those who have rejected Him and disobeyed Him and went their own way and rejected the voice of Christ, rejected the voice of His servant. 
He's talking to the ones who are followers of God. He's talking to the ones who fear God. And so in context of this with the nation of Israel in captivity, there were still those of the nation of Israel who feared the Lord, who worshiped the Lord, who were followers of God, who were followers of Christ. The same way that's applied to us as Christians, as believers. And so I ask you this morning at Northwest Baptist Church, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who among you here fears God and has obeyed the call of Christ to repent and put your trust in Him and His faith and your faith in Him? He's speaking here to the saved, to the followers of God, to the ones who fear God, to the believers. And then isn't it, isn't it funny that most oftentimes we hear darkness and light referred to in, in more of a manner of sin? When we get to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But this darkness here, this darkness, the one that, the, a believer that walks in darkness and hath no light. You say, how can a believer walk in darkness? We're told the opposite later in the New Testament. It's because the darkness here is referring to misery. It's referring to the darkness of misery, calamity, grief, despair. Times of pain so deep that it weighs on our hearts and minds day after day, night after night with no hope and with no light, with no relief from the darkness. It could be as a result of consequences of our own sins. Yes, it could be just as Israel was experiencing the, con- the consequences of rejecting God and, and turning, their own, turning to their own way. But even in that time of consequence for our sin, God is still there. God's still controlling the narrative. God is still controlling the outcome. It could be correction. It could be simple correction. We need adjustment in our lives. Maybe we're going through this time of darkness. And we're never promised to have an easy life as a Christian. We know this. We notice that in fact we're told the opposite. In John 16, 33, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In me ye might have peace. Not in the world, not in what you can own, not in what you can have, but in me. In the world, you, you shall have tribulation. Basically, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We're never told that we're going to have an easy life. We're never told that we're going to have an easy go at this time on earth. And we will experience this time of darkness as we move through our Christian life. Sometimes it can be coldness, spiritual coldness, numbness. Sort of a spiritual depression, if you will. And those of you who've been saved for a long time and have have grown in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and you've walked with the Lord all these years, I've talked to pastors and preachers who've experienced this as well. There may be times in our lives where God can distance himself from us to make him seek him more. Maybe he puts us through trials and times of darkness to strip us down to realize 
that we have no fulfillment in anything else. We have no fulfillment in this world. We have no fulfillment in what we're doing if it's not for Him. And we go through these times, and maybe we wonder, where is God? Sometimes we may even ask, are we really a Christian? Are we really saved? Has God really saved me? Has He really come into, has He really changed my heart? Have I really been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit? Am I really a new creature? Sometimes we may go through these times. So what are we to do in these times of darkness? When there is no light, when there is no hope, when there's no sense of relief, when a friend comes to you and tries to encourage you and it doesn't help, when you pick up the Bible and you read Scripture and it doesn't seem to do anything, When you pray and it seems as though you can't even concentrate enough to pray. You can't even say the right words. And you feel as though your prayers are not being answered. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? For the believer who walks in darkness and has no light, what are we told to do? In times of darkness, first of all, we are to trust in the name of the Lord. And in your Bible, it's a capital L-O-R-D. Trust in the name of Jehovah. Trust in the name of Yahweh. Trust in Him. His name. Oftentimes we hear this. We hear this in in other, uh, we we hear it preached. Uh, We may hear it on the radio. We may hear songs about God's name. Trust in His name. We should trust in his name, but his character, also his character and his attributes and who he has revealed himself to be in scripture to us, his people. Psalms 9, 10 says, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee for thou Lord hast not forsaken them that seek thee. We must know His name and we must put our trust in His name, but also in who He is and how He's revealed Himself. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, most of us know this verse. We've memorized it since Sunday school. We've, we've seen it, but trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. But in order to know him, in order to understand him, we must study his attributes. We must study his character. In the the full canon of scripture, we must look in the Old Testament. We must see how he dealt with his people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And it's the same God throughout scripture. There's many churches and many preachers and, and, and locations who say that we do not need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is irrelevant today that is outdated that it's a thing of the past and I would argue that a majority of the New Testament in the New Testament the Old Testament is preached the Old Testament looks towards Christ the New Testament reveals Christ and his person, and his work. 
We must trust in his name. We must trust in the God who is infinite and he's not bound by any space. He's not bound by any time. He always has been and he always will be. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He, he displays his power throughout the heavens and earth. He's immutable. He has never changed and he will never change. The God who is faithful, who always keeps his promises. The God who is omniscient and knows all things. The God who is eternal. The God who is everywhere at any given time. He's omnipresent. And the God who is sovereign and complete control of all things, including kings, including presidents, and all leaders, including your life, the situations that come into your life, into your daily life. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, it's a rhetorical question, but it's, who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? That's our God. And that's who we are to trust in, Jehovah God. But notice the second point here. After, after we trust in the name of the Lord, it says, and stay upon his God. And so we are to also stay upon our God. And what I think is interesting here, that word stay means to, to lean on, to, to support oneself upon. But there's something else I want you to notice here. It says, stay upon his God. That is personal. That is personal. It's a possessive, your God. And so if I'm to ask you today, who are you staying on during your times of darkness, during when times of life come? Who are you staying on? Who is your God? Do you know him? And I don't mean in a salvific manner. You may know enough of the gospel to trust Christ as your Savior and realize your lost state before God and come to faith in Christ. But I'm saying after that, after you've trusted Christ as your Savior, after you've become a true believer, are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you studying Scripture? Not to learn Bible stories, not to just do it to check a box, but are you studying Scripture to learn who your God is? Your God. We can be taught all the definitions and terms of God's attributes and characteristics and run through a theological gamut, but unless it is personal, the realities of His attributes will never be grasped nor ever truly lied upon, relied upon. It must be personal. And so it's easy to say, hey, you're going through a hard time. Just trust God. He's got it. Personally, if I'm going through a rough time, if, and I think about Job, when everything was stripped away from him, everything, his health, everything was stripped away from him. I've learned over the years that if, if I was in a situation where I had lost everything, I would not want someone to come to me and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I would not want somebody to come to me and say, hey, we're, we're, we're praying for you, although that's a good gesture. I, I would appreciate that. 
I want somebody to come to me and encourage me and remind me who God is and what he's done all through scripture and how what he's shown his power, his might, his glory, his honor throughout the entirety of scripture. That's what I would want to know is my God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, one of my favorite verses. Thus saith the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Every time someone gets up to teach a Sunday school class, every time someone gets up to speak, no matter how little the children are, And they're opening the word of God in some form, in some fashion. It is thus saith the Lord. It's not something to be played with. And I'm sorry I got off track, but that's important to me. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. A correct, a higher, a correct and higher view of God will give you a correct and higher view of everything else. We wonder why church attendance is down across the nation. We wonder why worship is played with, corporate worship is played with. We wonder why the text of Scripture is played with. It's because people don't know their God. Either they're not saved And they're not regenerate or they don't even know their God who they worship. You worship who you do not know. A correct and higher view of God will give you a correct and higher view of everything else. You will understand once you understand as much as we are able to understand by the grace of God through his word. You'll then understand why it's important we read scripture daily. It's not to get through your Bible in a year to get a certificate. It's not because everybody else is doing it in your Sunday school class. It's to know God. And then you'll understand why it's important to to give the gospel out, to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not to put a plaque upon a wall of a church with how many souls were saved or how many souls were dunked in this baptistry. That's not what it's for. It's because to share the gospel of Jesus Christ Because it is for God's glory. God saves men and women and boys and girls for himself, for his glory. To bring him honor and glory. You are saved for him and by him through Christ. This personal God that we are to trust in 
I challenge you to look back on times in your life and past provisions that God has done in your life, past victories that God has brought you through, that He has given you. In Psalm 77, 11 through 13, it says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? We must remember the past experiences we've had with the Lord. I'm 37 now. It took me a second. I'm 37, and I'm starting to realize, my wife's probably going to laugh at me, but I'm starting to realize the importance of journaling. And I'm actually thinking about beginning to start that because you forget so easily how good God is to you. And you forget so easily what He's already brought you through. And so when we get into these times of darkness and when we we get in these times where we we can't see and we don't know what's going to happen, we can't control the situations, we forget so fast of all the other situations and incidents and things that he's brought us through, things that he's allowed us to to miss, things that he's spared us of. And so we are to stay upon our God. But he also brings a warning. He also gives a warning. In verse 11, Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that can pass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in torment. Even as believers, when we go through these dark times where we can't see, where it's seemingly hopeless, where we maybe don't think God is around. We tend to devise our own way. We tend to try to take situations and manipulate them because we don't trust God with the situation. Maybe because we're not being fulfilled in our Bible reading or our church attendance or or fellowshipping with other Christians. We acquire some type of strange fire to make us feel better, to emotionally spur us. We are not to rely on our emotions. We are not to rely on our feelings in these situations. We are to rely on facts biblical facts of who God has identified himself to be. That's why it's important we learn about him, learn about his character, learn about his attributes. And from that knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge that we can attain as Christians, our faith builds out of that. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Reading scripture, learning who God is, builds our faith. And from that faith comes what? Joy, happiness, peace. And out of that joy and out of that happiness comes our obedience because we know the God that we serve. And with that obedience in these times comes our submitting to Him, allowing Him to lead. Not trying to light our own fire in the darkness, not trying to find our own source of light, 
not trying to find things to comfort us and to make us feel better from the world. Behold all ye that kindle a fire that can pass yourselves about with sparks. When you look up that word, it's basically a firebrand. And I had to do a little research on what a firebrand was, but it's basically a torch. It's a type of a torch. And so he's saying here, that's fine. Don't wait on me. Don't stay on me. Don't rest on me. Don't lean on me in the dark. Make your own fire. Make your own way. Use the fire you've created with your hand, but this ye shall have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Oftentimes when we try to manipulate our own situations, we create a bigger mess than what we began with. Oftentimes, if, uh, I know in a church setting, if, if we don't have enough people coming to the church and if we don't have enough membership or enough uh, types of certain people that we want to have in our church, if our church isn't growing in the direction that, that it needs to be, and being in uh, the service for the last 16 years, we've been through quite a few churches moving. But if we don't have that, we, we, we tend to release our trust on God and relying on Him and relying and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God, unto salvation. And we turn to these worldly things to try to attract people into our church. We try to manipulate the situations. We try to light our own fire in so many different ways but specifically in dark times when we're going through these troubles and we're going through these pain, this pain, we're going through this grief. It could be a decision that we have to make. We are not to light our own fire and find our own guidance of ourselves, not seek the world's guidance, but wait on the Lord. Instead of resting in the God of Scripture, we'll rest in sorrow torment because when you don't follow the Lord and when you don't wait upon him and when you try to manipulate situations on your own and when you try to make things happen for yourself or the way you think they should come out almost all the time it ends in sorrow it ends in unrest you might be okay for a time you might be able to find worldly things to pacify yourself to pacify your grief but in the end it floods right back. No peace. It's clear that as believers, our lives are not easy. We're not promised that as we spoke about that. But as we go through these dark times, just like Israel was in captivity, they thought the Lord had abandoned them. They were going through the misery of captivity, of dealing with the the environment they were in, claiming that the Lord had left them. And he reminds them, no, you did, I didn't leave you. Your sins separated you. Your sins sold you. And then he reminds them of who he is. And that's what we need to remember is who is our God? Who is our God? Who are we relying on? Who are we serving in these dark times? We must rely on Him. And oftentimes, as a word of encouragement, we like to get in our, 
are situations where it is dark and where we don't have any hope. We feel like the Lord has left us. But we need to remember who our ultimate example is. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. The author and finisher of our faith. The, the, the perfecter of our faith. And I want you to think about something when this darkness that we deal with from time to time as Christians. And you think about our Lord and you think about our Savior in the garden as, as He's about to be betrayed and, and scourged and, and taken, taken to Calvary. The, the darkness of the soul that He endured that night When he said, let this cup pass from me, let this cup pass from me. We often don't think about the fact what was in that cup. The suffering, the wrath of God that he knew he was going to endure. And then he went to the cross. And we talk about the the fact of the beatings and the scourgings. And we, we have medical professionals that, that build out these models and show a, a traditional Roman crucifixion of how it affects the physical body. And we talk about the crown of thorns and we talk about the spear in the side. We talk about the blood loss. We talk about gasping for air of Christ. And we don't want to take away from that at all. We don't want to take away from any of that because that was absolutely crucial. But sometimes what we fail to see and what we fail to realize is that no amount of medical professionals, no amount of doctors or PhDs or professors, no one can explain and make us understand fully what it was like when our sin was placed on Christ. And when you think about that, the sins of all eternity past to eternity future, the sins of the whole world, Christ died for the sins of the entire world, was placed upon him. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin was laid upon him on that cross. Because he was the only one who could pay for that sin. And as you think for these times where you feel like the Lord has left you and you can't go on, remember your Savior, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, the Father and the Son, who had dwelt in perfect unity, the Son in the bosom of the Father for all eternity and purity and holiness that we can't even understand because of our fallen minds. For the first time, because of your sin and my sin, the Father had to turn away from His Son. Not because He couldn't bear to see Him suffer. In Isaiah 53, we were told that it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. He had to turn away because of our sin. He couldn't look at our sin. And Christ was on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But in the end, what did he say? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. We, tend to, we trust God with our salvation and we trust God with our eternity. But it's so hard for us as Christians to trust Him with our daily lives. And Jesus died for our sins, was buried and was resurrected under His own power. Remember your Savior. Remember His obedience to the cross. Remember His obedience to the Father. Remember He set His face like a flint towards Calvary, and no one could deter him. And if you're here tonight, you could be in church your whole life. I know how it goes. I, that was me. You could listen to every message you could ever hear, every Sunday school message. You could come to church all the time, go to a visitation, give your tithes and offerings in the plate. But this message tonight was only for believers. If you're lost, then you are in a way kindling your own fire. You are in a way trying to develop your own happiness, trying to make your way, trying to make your way to heaven on your own. And you will lie down in torment in hell if you die without Christ as your Savior. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We are all guilty. We are all sinful. When Adam sinned, sin, death entered the world through sin. Sin entered the world. We all became guilty. And because of that guilt, because of that sin, there had to be a payment. And because of that sin, we are bound for hell as lost sinners. Christ took that sin. Christ paid for our sin as our substitute, the just for the unjust. You can't work your way to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we quote it all the time. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. Trust Him today as your Savior if you haven't. Stop fighting with Him. Stop pretending with Him and rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in Him. Stay upon Him. Brother.